Before we get into the issue, I just wanted to let you guys know that this is the free version of the podcast, and all that means is that this is far behind where I'm at in the Patreon version. So if you're liking this and you need more John Constantine, you can't get enough. Be sure to go over to patreon.com slash planes, trains, and comic books, all one word, and sign up for the Hellblazer tier, which gives you access to the entire Hellblazer library that I've done so far, and a new Hellblazer podcast every week. And you'll also get the exclusives from our main planes, trains, and comic books podcast. So if any of that interests you, definitely check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash planes, trains, and comic books, all one word. And with that, let's get into the issue. Today, we are reading Hellblazer number 20. And just a little recap before we get into it. We are right in the middle of the Fear Machine story arc, and John Constantine is hot on the trail of a corrupt company named Geotronics that has created a machine that is able to harness fear and is weaponizing it using psychics who are able to tap into the Earth's magical energy through ley lines and special stone formations, kind of like Stonehenge. And with that, they are able to cause mass panics and hysteria in large groups of people and also in individual people who have been like killing themselves and just causing like a general fear that's going through the public and there's been a lot of suicides and last issue we found out that there is some kind of masonic government organization that is behind this company and they are using this fear machine for their own political gain and the reason why john is after them is because they have kidnapped one of his psychic friends who's a young girl named Mercury, who they have been holding inside of some kind of psychiatric ward so she can take the fear out of mentally disturbed people and then put it inside of the fear machine. And in the last issue, we saw her gaze inside of this fear machine and it seemed to be growing beyond the control of the Geotronics company and the Masonic organization, and they haven't really recognized that, so it seems like this fear machine is getting out of their control without them knowing it. And before we get into it, we got the cover here. We see there is like a geometric box that looks kind of like a prison cell because there's like bars on a window, and then we see there's like a, a apparition of a man holding their head like they have some kind of ailment or something, and on the floor of this box, there is the Masonic symbol that we have seen on the main, I guess, assassin maybe for this Masonic group. And this issue is written by Jamie Delano and the art is by Mike Buckingham with inks by Alfredo Alcala. And we see on the first page, this is part seven of the Fear Machine story arc and it is named Betrayal. And we start off with Mercury who has convinced Dr. Fulton, who's like a creepy scientist that has been studying her and getting her to use the Fear Machine more and more. But she has been using her psychic abilities to kind of convince him to let her out of the facility where they've been holding her. And she has basically convinced him that... I don't know, they're on some kind of date or something. He's taking her out for ice cream. And this was all part of her plan. Like she she was trying to kind of seduce him because she can read his mind and knows that he's been like creepily watching her and stuff. And he's got some weird attraction to her. It's kind of sexual, but also kind of like he's just super lonely and it's just super creepy overall. So as he's getting her ice cream, she like makes a break for it and she's just like, Dr. Fulton, can you hold my ice cream? I have to go to the bathroom. I won't be long. And as she walks away, Dr. Fulton knows what's going to happen. He he already knows that she's going to run off. And the narration says, Fulton knows it's over. And she's taken his whole life with her. She's gone. She's gone. 
And as he's thinking that, we see Mercury in the background kind of looking at him, making sure that he's not following her or seeing her go away. And she walks over to two policemen who are just around the corner from this ice cream stand and this metro station. And she tells him, basically, this guy kidnapped me and he's super creepy. Can you please help me out? So they go to Dr. Fulton and they tell him, excuse me, sir, I think you better come with us. So he gets arrested and he's thrown in jail for the night at least. And as he's sitting in a cell, he's kind of throwing like a little pity party for himself. And the narration says, Fulton had tried to make it easy for her. He'd been expecting it, of course. He'd known all along that she didn't care for him, not like he cared for her. There's nobody to blame but himself. He's pathetic. He'd let her bewitch him, willed her to put her glamour on him, basked in the deceptive glow of her delicious innocence. He wanted this confusion, this madness, this terrible sucking heartache. Fulton had never had much appeal for women, nor they for him, or so he told himself. Science was his lover, discovery his sex. But Mercury was different, so powerful and exciting. She was young, but her psyche was old as time. This morning, they'd woken and she could not meet his eye. He knew that she would leave and that he would not stop her. She would be free and they would kill him for it. And then we cut to John, who is walking with Inspector Talbot, who accidentally stumbled upon this Masonic organization within the government when he was just looking at normal corruption within the police force. So to punish him, the organization began to send him letters in the mail that were like, you know, threatening and saying that they're going to kill him or kill his family. And this drove his wife to suicide. So he's now working with John side by side in order to bring down this corrupt organization. And also with them is a journalist named Simon who was almost killed by this man named Webster, who is the assassin who works for this organization, because he uncovered some interesting things about the, the company Geotronics and also this Masonic corruption within the government. And at the end of the last issue, they were about to get on a subway train and a man came up to them who was kind of following John all last issue. And he's like a homeless guy. And he started saying the name Jala Cantiliokin. And as he was yelling this name, he proceeded to jump off the platform and into the way of the oncoming train that was pulling into the station, killing himself. So after that, they took the train to a different part of town, and now they're walking into a bar to get a drink and also just discuss what's going on and piece together the clues that each of them have found on their own in their own discovery. So Inspector Talbot and Simon go to get some drinks for everybody, and the whole time, John is thinking of that word, Jala Cantiliokin, over and over and over, and he narrates, I hear the word again, howled with the raging breath of fear. Something is growing. Assuming form in my imagination, something frightening, something magical. And as he kind of ponders that, Simon and Talbot come back with the beers and they begin to lay out all the pieces that they've discovered individually. So Talbot brings up the Russian named Sergei, who has also had an attempt on his life and he was working for the KGB with another Russian agent and they were trying to steal the fear machine technology from Geotronics. But they were found out before they could actually steal the secrets and the agent that was with Sergei ended up killing himself. And a couple issues back, we actually saw Geotronics unleash the fear machine in order to try to kill Sergei as he was following John onto a train. So there's definitely a lot of moving parts that they're talking about, but they come to the conclusion that these Masons are trying to use the fear machine to seize political power in the government. John explains, according to this Russian, 
10 to 1, he's the guy I pulled off the train. The KGB infiltrates secret societies like the Freemasons as a matter of course. It makes sense. Masons groom members for power and influence. Their pet Masons got wind of the secret order within the Freemasonry that was sponsoring research into the psychic weaponry and fostering politically repressive social engineering. So it seems like they finally figured out why the Freemasons are doing this and what is their purpose for making a weapon like the Fear Machine. But something is nagging at John even further. He says, Masons have enough influence to run the show already. What other goal could these super secret Illuminati have? What is the G-O-A-G? Where does the magic fit in? So the G-O-A-G is the name of that secret branch of the Freemasons that is trying to control the government. So he's thinking this as they kind of finish up at the bar and they walk back to Inspector Talbot's home to question the Russian agent Sergei. And as they walk in, John is the first through the door and Sergei sees him and immediately thinks that John is there to kill him because he is under the impression that John killed his Russian partner. So Sergei picks up a lamp and proceeds to hit John in the face and attack him. And then we cut to the Geotronics headquarters where the Masonic assassin named Webster is talking to, I guess, the director of this whole project. And they're talking about Dr. Fulton and how he's kind of outlived his usefulness now and that, you know, he's let Mercury go. So the director is telling Webster that he needs to go take care of Dr. Fulton now. And in the last issue, when we saw the director last, he was talking about going to some lodge where this Masonic meeting was going to take place, where he was going to get some kind of knowledge and that it was some kind of great honor. And he says that he has seen the shade of the future. Even now across the country, technicians are making the final artificial links into the ancient geotronic web. But this thing, this weapon that we've built, is not the fear machine. It's just inspiration. It's nearly time. Such a grand and subtle scheme. Everything fits into the purpose. We fan the flames, and when the fires have burned, the phoenix rises from the ashes. So he seems to be talking about something that's more than just some political power grab or something. He now has knowledge of something evil that's going to rise from the ashes. Like the fear machine is just the beginning of this plot. Something greater is about to emerge. So after their conversation, Webster leaves, presumably to go kill Dr. Fulton. But he actually goes into another wing of the facility towards where they keep the mental patients that they steal the fear from in order to feed the machine. And as he's walking down the halls, we get some narration from him that reveals that he is more than just the assassin for the secret society. The narration says, The director thinks he knows secrets. He thinks Webster is a servant, a brute, a killer for sharper minds to wield. But it is passed down thus. The priests move unseen among the flock. So it seems maybe he's some kind of magic priest or something that is just presenting himself as some kind of assassin for the director. So he gets to the patient areas and he begins to look in the windows of the rooms where they're holding the mental patients. And he's looking at them one by one like he's trying to make a decision of which one to pick. So once it seems like he's made his decision, he walks into the room where they finally finished construction on the holding tank for the fear machine. This is the tank that we saw last issue where Mercury actually peered inside of it and she saw a very large blob of fears and nightmares that have been collected from all these different mental patients. And that blob seemed to have been growing on its own and getting more powerful. And as he walks into the room, he begins to lay out instruments and kind of set up for some kind of ritual. And the narration says, it is good. 
The craftsman's work has been completed. Excitement rumbles through him like a growing storm. This usurping world has rolled over, belly up, tickled and teased to the most ancient sacred formula. Tonight this temple will be consecrated and the devotions begin, by his will and in his name. And then Webster yells out, Jala Kentiliokin! And then we cut back to John Constantine, who is just recovering from getting hit on the head with a lamp. And Inspector Talbot is trying to calm Sergei down and tell him, look, John's a good guy, he's with us. And basically they catch him up on what's been going on. And once again, they all start to discuss their pieces of the puzzle and put it together with what Sergei has found out. And it becomes clear to John that everybody else in the room isn't really aware of the magical side of this. He's trying to convince them that there is a magical component to this, but they don't believe him. They just think it's some kind of government corruption with this Masonic order. But John knows better and he kind of thinks to himself, how can you explain that it all fits together? Even though you don't know how, how can you convey something huge when your facts are so tiny and your instincts are so vague? You need a fine nose to detect the subtle taints of this oppressive perfume which drapes us with the weight of lethargy. We're from completely different worlds, but we've all been brushed by the circling shade of something fierce and felt the threat tug at our spines. And as he's thinking this, we get a zoom out from London and we see the whole city and above it you see some kind of dark clouds forming and there's like an evil face kind of laughing above the city. And then we cut to a man we haven't really seen too much in this story arc, but we've seen him in little doses. It is a policeman named Davis who was the man in charge of the police raid that captured Mercury and brought her to the Geotronics facility. And he's been summoned to go talk to Beale, who's the director of this secret police squad. And as they're talking, we kind of get a little background on how deep this police corruption has gone. And Beale is kind of giving a nationalistic speech to Davis about the kind of riffraff that they want to get out of this society. He says, For months now, the black squad has been softening up the peripheries of society. The radical left, libertarian intellectuals, peaceniks, hippie travelers, gays, druggies, football supporters, strikers, blacks. And Davis replies, scum. And Beale continues, We've been harassing them, beating them up, making them afraid and making them angry, shaking out their leaders. We need them to be angry, but we need them to be disorganized. You need to take out the leaders. Tell me, Davis, are you familiar with the concept of death squads? And Davis is all about that. So Beale sends Davis on a mission to gather a death squad and begin trying to take out the leaders of the opposition. And we find out who the opposition are fairly fast because Davis is saying he knows the address that Beale gave him. He's written letters to this address for months. So he's talking about Talbot's address. He's been the guy that was sending those harassing letters that made Talbot's wife kill herself. So he is on his way to that house with a death squad to take out the leaders and the leaders being Talbot, Sergey, Simon, and John. In the meantime, we cut back to Webster who has finished his ritual in the fear machine and he is now collecting Dr. Fulton from the jail cell in order to kill him. So he takes Dr. Fulton to a bridge and we've actually seen parts of this scene before in a past issue, specifically when Mercury was looking into the mind of Dr. Fulton and had a psychic flash of Dr. Fulton having a noose placed around his neck and then being pushed off of a bridge. So that is what happens. <laughs> Webster takes a noose, ties it to the bridge, puts it around Dr. Fulton's neck, and he pushes Dr. Fulton off with his foot. 
and Dr. Fulton falls to his death. And then we cut back to Inspector Talbot's house, which is now being raided by the police. And we see that everybody except John has been captured. John was able to make it out of a window. And I guess using magic, he has just kind of stayed on the sidelines and is able to convince them that he is a policeman. He even walks up to Davis and (laughs) says, hey, I'm just wondering where you're taking them. Don't worry, I'm one of you. And he shows a badge, but it's probably not a real badge. It's probably a piece of paper that looks like a badge to them. But because he's just impersonating regular police, they tell him to go piss off. And John tries to follow him, but he can't keep up with them on foot. So John feels pretty disheartened by all this. He says, it's coming apart again, isn't it? Just when you get a grip, it all turns to bleeding spaghetti. I'm not done yet, though. I may have lost my allies in one fell swoop, but at least I've got a phone number. And that's a phone number he got from Davis, I forgot to mention. When John was impersonating a policeman, Davis said, hey, if you've got a problem with anything we're doing, ring the home office. It's extension 238. They'll put you straight through. So he says, when you've got a phone number, you can usually get a name. And as he's thinking this, he walks over to a library and he goes into the doors and it says, First, I need to find out some more stuff about the Masons. So he's going to the library to learn about the Freemasons. And then we cut back to Webster, who now, after having killed Dr. Fulton, has gone back to the mental facility. And if you remember back earlier, I had said that it looked like Webster was trying to decide who he was going to select for something. And it seems that he has chosen a boy that we have seen before who was afraid of the idea of cancer, that he didn't fully understand what cancer was, but to him that made it scarier because he thought it was just some kind of monster. So Webster has taken him from the facility and brought him to a fenced-in area that might actually be Stonehenge or at least a stone circle like Stonehenge. Either way, it's one of these centers of power where the ley lines converge. And as he's getting the boy, we see some narration that says, On this night you shall welcome the darkness that is the veil of God. In this night, in silence, you shall approach the temple which has been prepared in accordance to the Lord. On this night you will bring forth the gifts of life. And I'm not sure if that stone circle is on the outside of the facility because the next scene we see is him taking the boy into the fear machine, which is the artificial stone circle that they have made that is the holding tank for the fear. And as he leads the boy into the center of the circle of stones, the narration continues, On this night you will enter the presence of the terrible. On this night you will tremble with the knowledge of the moment. And then Webster takes the boy and places him on an altar. And Webster takes a piece of cord that looks like it was prepared for him there. And he wraps it around his hands tight and he walks towards the boy. And the boy is freaked out. He's, he's terrified and he's saying, please, what's going to happen? Please, are you the cancer? And then Webster proceeds to strangle the boy on the altar. And the narration continues, on this night the earth is made ready for the plow. On this night, the seed shall be watered. And as it says watered, Webster takes a knife that was also on the altar and he proceeds to murder the boy and get the blood all over the place. And the narration continues. And on this night, do it in the perfect knowledge that beyond the agony of terror, the realm of utter freedom is. Mark out the name of liberty and make him welcome. And now that Webster is covered in the boy's blood, he walks outside of the fear chamber and goes outside to the ancient circle of stones, and he writes on one of them, G-O-A-G, Goag, and he says out loud, 
Thus it is passed down. By his will do it. On this night do it. In his name do it. And then we cut to the inner part of the fear machine that is housing all of the nightmares and everything. And we see the giant nightmare blob of faces that kind of looks like a fucked up Akira or something. And it seems to be feeding off of the blood that was on the altar. And then all at once, Mercury, John, and Mercury's mom, Marge, yell out in extreme fear the name Jala Kentiliokin. And that is the end of the issue. If you guys have any comments, questions, or suggestions, you can email me at planes, trains, and comic books, all one word at gmail.com. And we will see y'all in the next one.